Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Tuesday, November 8th, and I am your host, Vincent Shen. And a nice surprise for this week. <laughs> Joining me in studio today is Fool.com contributor Dan Klein. How's it? How are you doing, Dan? Oh, very nice to be here, Vince. Thank you. Um, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, your first time shooting in studio for Industry Focus, at least, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, how do you feel so far? It's different. You know, usually I can't see you, so yeah. it's a little bit harder to do. You know, if, if anybody's watched these and sees me looking off in a weird direction, it's because <laughs> I do not have a video feed. Uh, you know, when I'm at home doing these. Yeah, I have to say, uh, you know, Sean, who does the energy show on Thursdays, usually with um, full di- uh, with Motley Fool and Ellis Taylor Rockerman, I'm very jealous of the fact that they always have two people in studio kind of riff off of each other. It's a lot harder to do that when uh, we have you, you know, beaming uh, we'll, in via We'll Skype. try to make it a habit every now and then. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, our, uh, we're covering a few different topics for today. Uh, the first one is the new release coming from DirecTV, which is their DirecTV Now service. Some details, it appears, have leaked out in terms of pricing, maybe some of the channels that are available, how it will work. Um, can you give us a few details on so, that? So it's all a little bit sketchy, but it feels like it's between what uh, Dish is doing with Sling. So Sling is basically twenty channels for twenty dollars, and then you can add five dollar add-on packs. It's a little more than that now, but it's roughly that. Sure. And Sony, which has pretty much a cable-like product, at starting at like thirty-nine ninety-nine, going up to about fifty-nine sixty-nine dollars. It appears it's going to be about thirty-five dollars for the basic uh, ATT AT&T Direct TV package. But we don't know what you're going to get. You figure you're going to get some of the channels you want, ESPN, TNT, TBS, CNN, and then you'll be able to add on other ones. So it's kind of a mid-price product, and it's clearly a cord-cutter product, but I, you know, I go back to what we've talked about a lot. I, I still don't see who this is for. Like It's not that much cheaper than cable, and it's a lot less convenient. Okay, so I know that some of the initial uh, reports indicate a package of as many as 100 channels, but... That's not really but what the, you're getting with right. The, the 100 channels right? are going to be if you add on all the different add-on packs. So if like I had a uh, a a Dish subscription where I bought everything, mm-hmm. maybe not quite every. Like I, I didn't get like the Spanish language channels, sure. but everything in a language I speak. And it costs maybe like sixty dollars. Then you add HBO on, and you're at seventy-five. So you're not that different from the roughly like 106 or something an average cable bill comes out at. Mm-hmm. So this is a case of if you're a cord cutter who wants access to certain programming, you can get it, but it's not going to be the cheapest service. It's sort of a middling service, and local channels are going to be very sparse. There are some local market deals, just like Sony has, where maybe in New York you can get NBC, but in Los Angeles you can get Fox. And even then, there's a lot of restrictions on what programming you get. Like maybe you don't get NFL games, or you know maybe uh, like local something is is. Locked out. Mm-hmm. From my understanding, uh, with a lot of these servers, services, as you mentioned, in terms of those major local networks, thinking about CBS, NBC, ABC, it does kind of depend on what market you're in. Um, and sometimes, uh, if you're in a larger metropolitan area, you might get them, but otherwise, you in, kind of might in be a out lot, of luck, right? In a lot of cases, like with the Sony uh, offering, you get access to like, let's say, NBC. I believe it's NBC as a partner. You get access to their primetime shows. But you could get those through other means, at least eventually. What you don't get is like the local news. So you're still missing out on, you know, the weather, or not that you can't get the weather other places, but school closings and mm-hmm. some of the things that make local TV convenient. 
um, nobody has figured out how to put into a digital package yet. Sure. Um, another question, and I guess another view into some of these services, the fact that uh, with this DirecTV Now package, they can now deliver content, some of the live content uh, that I think maybe a lot of uh, current viewers who are still attached to their linear cable packages have been hesitant to give up because of that live content. Do you think that is a differentiator, or is that something that, again, is just not maybe enough of a value-add compared to that basic cable package? Well, I mean, this is a me-too product, you mm-hmm. know, and every cable operator has some sort of skinny bundle digital streaming product somewhere in the works. Maybe somebody doesn't, but most of them do. And what hasn't been shown is consumer demand. It seems logical that a younger person who's never paid for cable or a family that goes, oh my God, my bill is too big, would say, okay, I want I want to spend $35 and get my favorites out mm-hmm. of here. The problem is, and I've written about this for families, as a family, I have a wife and a child, and we all watch different things. So I can't get the $20 Sling TV. I have to get everything they offer. Sure. And it's going to be the same thing with this. So, so you know, as one person or just you and your wife, this might make sense, especially if you don't have cable and maybe you want to watch, you know, basketball on TBS and, mm-hmm. and your wife wants to watch a couple of other shows. But these seem to me like very niche products, and they're being developed for a market that has not proven to exist yet. Okay. Um, last question, and it's relevant to the very uh, big announcement that AT&T had recently, and that's regarding, of course, its you know $85 billion acquisition of Time Warner. How do you think, assuming that deal goes through, that you know, assuming it makes it through the regulatory hurdles, how does that play into this um, in terms of their ability to offer some of that exclusive content uh, from Time Warner? You know, they have a pretty good portfolio of pretty powerful networks and content. I, I think the reality is you can't make that much exclusive. You know, maybe you could take a specific artist you have under contract and say we've got a 90-day window on it. But it's not like you can take a cable network mm-hmm. and say we're not going to sell it to the other 95 million cable homes. Sure. You know, so you know AT&T already has some of its own networks. It had it has the uh, the audience network, which has uh, Dan Patrick and a couple of other shows, and it's all it's nothing that would change your mind on getting a subscription. So. I think there's an advantage in that they can make favored nation deals for what they pay themselves. Of course. But probably a condition of that merger getting approved is that they don't do that. Mm-hmm. That if they're only going to charge themselves, you know, a dollar for the channel for a digital subscriber, they're going to have to offer the same terms to Dish. You know, they're they're not going to let AT&T Time Warner strangle Sony and Dish and whoever else is coming down the pike. Okay, uh, and my last question, and this has to do, I think, with a bigger picture view of this industry and kind of where some of these packages and services are going. Do you feel like, you know, there was a Comcast, NBC Universal deal. Now there's this potential AT&T Time Warner deal. Do you feel like uh, the fact that the distributors and the content creators coming together is eventually going to push the industry towards the or give them the ability to offer some of the a la carte packages? That you know, so many consumers have been kind of begging for, essentially, at this point. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of things go out of business. Um, because in this skinny bundle world, let's pretend I watch the Cooking Network, and maybe 200,000 people in prime time are watching that. Sure. But I'm not going to pay $6 a month to watch it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have to pay your half a penny or whatever the, the carriage fee is to get it and not watch it, it's just going to go away. So yes, you might see some exclusive, you know, really interesting content, 
But I think you're going to see more the other end, that as these things consolidate, I mean, look at what's happening with ESPN. As less people subscribe, ESPN is going to spend less money on programming, or I'm going to pay more to get ESPN. So at some point, they're going to lose you know, some college deals, and things are going to spread out more. And it creates opportunity, but it's also going to put some stuff out of business. Yeah. Okay. Totally understood. Um, so for our next, uh, for our next story here, uh, this news came out about a week or two ago and as additional um, you know details of the plans for the company we're speaking about which is Amazon and that's with their physical stores that they seem to be interested in launching um, I think they surprised honestly a lot of investors and industry followers last year when they started dabbling in uh, their first physical retail locations um, and the thing is the company often tests and experiments with these new ideas in its home city of Seattle so first it was bookstores um, and the company has now launched small pop-up stores so think like mall kiosks uh, several hundred square feet of retail space not very big but enough to feature things like its uh, Kindles its Amazon echo speaker and so uh, a lot of these locations, it appears, have resonated with consumers. Uh, the company might be expanding that and those efforts during the holiday shopping season. But I think the bigger potential impact uh, for the company, for its revenue, for its top line, for its bottom line, seems to be with groceries um, and uh, this potential test they're doing with 20 grocery stores in cities like Seattle, Las Vegas, uh, New York, Miami, and San Francisco. It's called Project Como. What do you think? It's peculiar to me. I understood the logic of launching stores where I sell you a Kindle or an Echo. Because when you buy a Kindle or a Fire TV or whatever it is, sure. I then have a pathway into your living room. So I could run that store at a loss, but I'm making money off of you buying content for the rest of time or for at least a few years until you have to throw the device away. Mm -hmm. Going into the small grocery store, and these are going to be sort of interesting models where you can order online and pick up and maybe select some produce and pick your fish but not have to pick your cereal like it's it's all very <laughs> frankly models consumers have largely rejected in terms of you know 10,000 different grocery delivery startups that have gone out of business sure and i get it the goal is to build the distribution network to make it more logical for amazon to have a warehouse in your neighborhood because they're not just delivering to your house they're also supplying this warehouse mm -hmm. they can move produce faster but these are commodity items. I mean, it's not like Amazon can price broccoli dramatically better than Kroger can. So, yeah. so I don't see why I would go to it. Like, you know, Prime and getting deliveries to my house makes sense to me. Having to show up to Amazon to get Lucky Charms when they sell Lucky Charms at the Publix near my house doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay, so I will, I will guess counter that to an extent, uh, just to give some additional detail on what Amazon's looking at. is The company is honestly going to be testing probably a ton of different store formats. Uh, some of the details that we do have, uh, some locations might be around 30,000 square feet, which is just a bit smaller than what you would uh, see in your typical supermarket. It's like a Whole Foods, mm -hmm, Exactly. And um, those would be the larger establishments. And then they'll have smaller convenience store setups and some of these, like you mentioned, these pickup-focused locations, maybe 10,000 square feet. So, uh, another, uh, another, I guess, uh, caveat for access and, uh, I guess, the market size for this opportunity is, you know, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that for initial uh, testing of these locations, they will actually be exclusive, potentially, to Amazon 
uh, current Amazon Fresh members. Uh, so recently, it seems like the company has seen a little bit more success in terms of profitability with that. They lowered the price from, I think, $300 a year to about $15 a month. And, uh, you know, that has been an encouraging for the company. And it seems, what do you think about the potential exclusivity? It becomes a bit of a Costco model. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so we've talked about this a hundred times. Costco makes roughly 75% of its revenue from membership fees. Mm-hmm. So it encourages you to, whether it's Prime or Fresh or whatever Amazon calls the membership, it gives you more incentive to join, which has been a driver for sales. And I see the logic of that. But two thousand stores built around groceries, like it, it, if they targeted to the market and they said, okay, this store is going to have groceries, this one's going to sell product, this one's going to have books, this, but it does seem like a very specific offering. And we just did a story that Amazon, the overrun between Amazon and Costco is really high. A lot of people have memberships to both. Mm-hmm. So once again, I don't know. And I mean, you have the bottom line numbers. It's not. That big a revenue swing for the company. So, uh, just to give uh, everyone a little bit of detail, you mentioned 2,000 locations. So, uh, based on the current planning, uh, the company sees if the test is successful. And this is wildly speculative in yeah. terms of where we are. Uh, the company sees a potential rollout of 200 store openings per year, eventually reaching that network of 2,000 locations that you mentioned. Um, again, uh, you had touched on this earlier. Is the idea is they get supplied through some of the Innovation that they've seen in the distribution centers, the expansion of that network, and the you know companies constantly perfecting that part of the logistics. everything they do makes the math better on the on their distribution network. Mm-hmm. So if they can use one warehouse to supply trucks, drones, grocery stores, blimps that throw fruit at you, whatever it is, obviously everything costs less. Yeah. So the thing is, the opportunity, the size of the opportunity, if they were to actually be able to get it out. You know, to that kind of scale, thousands of locations. It is sizable in the in the fact that uh, you know the grocery business makes up, I think, about uh, one fifth of consumer spending in this country. It's like an eight hundred billion dollar industry, pretty large. Right now, with their current fresh model with the delivery, it's like a, sm- a sliver, like two percent of that market. Do you do the grocery shopping in your house? Uh, we do. My wife and I do it together. What do you go to the grocery store? Well, yes, we absolutely go to the grocery store because we prefer that experience to be able to, you know, pick our produce and things like that. My wife and I split the shopping, and we go to two different grocery stores: the one that's closest to our house, and the Whole Foods that's second closest. If an Amazon opened, even though I am a devoted, I buy from Amazon almost every day. I have an Echo. I use a Kindle. I have Fire TV. If Amazon opens half a mile down the road from Whole Foods. I'd go there twice a year as a novelty. <laughs> and I think that's the model for grocery stores. Unless you could be an Aldi or something that's a really different shopping experience, am I really going to drive farther? Yeah, but there isn't the potential there, though. If there's any company that can really uh, you know, gather the data on what people want and potentially curate the the product offerings that people are like hey this is really the kind of place that I want to go they have everything that I need the Amazon does have patents on knowing what you're going to order before you order it <laughs> so like you know you you've already picked your Christmas gift I don't even have to order it so. okay so um I also I there, I have a an interesting um, excerpt here so this uh, Geekwire managed to get a hold of planning documents, and so they kind of they describe how one of these new retail locations might operate. I think it's really interesting. I want to share it with the listeners. 
So it says, when placing an online order, customers will schedule a specific 15-minute to two-hour pickup window. Peak time slots will sell out, which will help manage traffic flow within the customer parking adjacent to the building. When picking up purchased items, customers can either drive into a designated parking area with eight parking stalls, where the purchased items will be delivered to their cars, or they can walk into the retail area to pick up their items. Customers will also be able to walk into the retail room to place orders on a tablet, Walk-in customers will have their products delivered to them in the retail room. So a lot of different options there. I mean, it's it's very smart, but there's a lot of customer education. This kind of sounds. This kind of reminds me, frankly, a little bit. Uh, maybe not the pickup aspect, but the tablet ordering, for example, of the new smaller format stores that Whole Foods has launched uh, with the the 365, right? And uh, there's they've integrated a lot of technology into those locations. And uh, from in terms of you know the handful of locations that are currently open, it seems like uh, early results are quite positive. So maybe that is a bit of a, a proof of concept to an extent for what Amazon sees here. It is, and then McDonald's has had great success in Europe. Moving to a tablet ordering model, mm-hmm. and it does take people out of the equation. So these become cheaper stores to run. If you can manage the parking lot, then you don't need as big a parking lot, so your rent becomes lower. So in theory, you start to have significantly less overhead, and maybe you can put that into pricing. But once again, it's solving a problem. Like it's not that hard to get groceries, and non-perishables Amazon can deliver me. And I don't know that I want to get my produce or my meat without touching it or looking at it. Sure, sure. And we've seen a lot of rejection of that model. So I get it. New York, Seattle, there are going to be markets where convenience is key. Mm -hmm. But in suburbia, where people are already driving to places, it just seems like a very niche focus. And a 30,000 square foot store is not a small store. These aren't 1,500 square foot hyper. You know, focused warehouses. They're they're still pretty big footprints. Yeah, that requires a lot of planning uh, in terms of finding the re- the right locations where to open them. It's expensive to develop the larger. The they stores. have picked a good time to be in the real estate business. You know, <laughs> there there are a lot of Sears that are now available sure, that's where they true. Could, where they could put. Uh, um, so uh, a somewhat related topic is around in store pick in store pickup and how some of the more traditional big box retailers. Um, are kind of leveraging this. I just want to touch on this again, related to uh, the seemingly the growing popularity of this delivery method for customers. About one fifth of Americans in a PwC survey uh, mention say they use in-store pickup on a regular basis, which really surprised me, by the way. And about half of it, half of the survey respondents uh, use in-store pickup occasionally. So you know, some of these traditional big box stores think Walmart, think Target. Uh, they have to. Uh, deal with a lot of the challenges of integrating ship to store, in store pickup capabilities into their established retail layouts. So, you know, you have to think about how you optimize your staffing, how you store your inventory, how you separate your workspaces. But I will argue that Amazon has an advantage here and that they're building their stores around this concept. They, they are. And I mean, the chief person for this is either. The person who feels their product's going to get stolen if it's delivered to their door. <laughs> or, in the case of where I've used pickup in store at Target, when my wife wanted to pick out the sheets at our vacation condo, but have me pick them up, so she ordered them in Connecticut, <laughs> I picked them up in Florida, same day. Now, what Target's doing to facilitate this is they're going to have dedicated personnel 
for at least the holiday season, devoted to doing this. Because the problem with pickup in-store has been, it's a bit like when you go to Panera Bread and they have the order ahead, yet no two stores do it the same way and you never know where your bagel is. (laughs) So you'd walk into Target and basically you were a pioneer doing something that the person behind the counter didn't necessarily know the procedure for. Sure. Maybe it was in the layaway area, maybe it was in the set-aside area, maybe they had to go pick it off the store shelves. So absolutely they've stepped up how they do this, but I do think it's something that the holiday season it makes a lot of sense. You need things faster. You want gifts when you want them. Mm-hmm. If it's the hot TV, you want to make sure you've ordered it so you don't, you know, go to the store and have it be out. Sure. But is there really a huge demand for this in August? Okay, okay. So, uh you mentioned some of the potential, you know, top bottom line impact. Uh so Jeremy Bowman, uh one of our fool.com contributors, he has a really interesting uh, piece on some of these developments that we've discussed at Amazon. And he dug a little bit deeper uh into the numbers to basically estimate what the potential financial impact a 2000 store network could have for the company. Uh he uses base uh, some comparable metrics and numbers from leading uh grocery chain Kroger. And the idea is 2000 locations assuming uh about 30,000 square feet of retail space and what Kroger can generate uh per square foot currently in sales. That's about 40 billion dollars of grocery revenue. So, you know, I think uh, in the last 12 months Amazon has about 120 billion dollars revenue. So, that's significant. Uh, granted, you know, this would be over many, many years in order to get to that. And what's the margin it, on to that? To that level. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the the I think the point that uh, Jeremy really hits is that significant addition to the top line, but uh, in terms of those razor thin margins, I think two to two percent to three percent uh, for the grocery industry overall. You know that's adding less than one billion dollars to the bottom line when using those benchmark figures. And so you see, it is not going to be this huge profit driver for the company. But I think uh, even if it doesn't scale to that to that thousands of locations, it's just part of. Uh, Bezos' strategy to get Amazon to be a bigger and bigger part of your life, well, period. The question comes down to how can they leverage their user base? Mm-hmm. So, if they, I'm a Prime member, so is about 25% of all Americans. If they can message to me and get me into that store, well, perhaps I'm going to go pick up my groceries, maybe I'm going to get a new Kindle, and maybe they can sign me up for an AWS account all at the same time <laughs> while providing the ability to do a return without putting it in a box. So, if they can leverage all of those things, I, I see convenience, but that's not cheap. One of the reasons Amazon is cheaper is they don't have the customer service expense of a physical store because it's all automated. If you want to do a return, you go in and click return. It sends you a shipping label. You send it back. A robot puts it away. Like it, so I can see how it would work, but it does seem like a lot of effort for nothing. And I, I'd rather see two thousand bookstores. Okay, um, I think that is all the time we have for today. But thanks a lot uh, for joining me today, Dan. It's awesome having you in studio. Great to be here. Uh, you can continue the conversation with us and the rest of the industry focus crew uh, on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, and you can send us any questions or comments via email to industryfocus@fool.com. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening. Thank you.